This podcast is made possible by listener support on Patreon. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit patreon.com slash Sam Reed's Near-Death Experiences. Why should I be frightened of dying? You know reason for it. You better go sometime. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sam Reed's Near-Death Experiences podcast. Thank you for listening today. Uh, I'm quite excited about the near-death experience that we we are going to be reading today. It's, um, uh, well, uh, I've never done a Muslim uh, near-death experience, at least I don't think I have, on the podcast. So this is uh, the first near-death experience coming from a, a Muslim. And um, it's just, it's quite quite a short experience in, in terms of well, I guess in comparison with some of the other ones that we've read, it's not very long, but it's got a lot of interesting things in it, a lot of interesting images and ideas that um, I think we're going to have um, a, a good time going through and, and talking about. Um, and it's it's very, uh, very beautiful. It has both the kind of dark elements and the light, you know, bringing together um, to form a, a totality, a, a wholeness to it and then that's something that she talks about as well that she she feels like she's a part of this whole that she encountered um the woman's name is Layla and uh, I guess this occurred in 2011 so uh, about eight years ago and she had recently had a baby baby maybe about uh she said about three weeks before and she just had a, a fainting spell. She kind of just went unconscious and had this amazing experience. Um, so there wasn't really anything life-threatening going on at the moment, but um, she never, nevertheless had a, a very interesting near-death experience that I, I hope will um, be uh, enlightening and, and help us to, to better understand this, this amazing phenomenon that that um, we all have to go through at some point. So um, this story was originally written in French. I'm not sure where Layla is from, uh, but it is translated from French. It's an excellent translation. It's very, uh, very clear and and um, easy to read. So I'm not sure where where she lives, but somewhere where they speak French, presumably. But um, like I said, I always try to to hear different near-death experiences from around the world. And so that's that's pretty cool. This was uh, found on the nderf.org website. I always struggle to say that. Um, uh, I will provide a link in the description. And uh, yeah, you should definitely go check it out because um, they do amazing work and they have many different near-death experiences, way more than I could ever read on the podcast. So... If you're interested, go check out uh, nderf.org. And uh, yeah, I, I hope you like this, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting to talk to talk about it a little bit. So without any further ado, here is Layla's near-death experience. I was holding my baby when my body started trembling. I put my sleeping baby down on a sofa and went to stretch out on the opposite sofa. I don't remember putting my head on the pillow. 
I think that I fainted at that moment. I found myself in an underground structure. I was floating and facing a stone wall. The light went out and I decided to turn around to leave. I was hovering above dark souls who were floating close to the ground. In the distance, I saw stairs going up towards the surface. I was heading to the stairs, but suddenly strong, aggressive rap music started playing and this slowed me down. At that moment, I saw a delivery person going up the stairs. I interpreted this scene as another soul experiencing the same thing as myself, but that he was escaping. I then decided to go to the right side. A floating, fluorescent green eye appeared in front of me. I didn't know what to do. Then the eye started to move forward, and I followed. I don't know why, but I told myself, oh, that's the third eye, without even knowing before this experience what it was. The faster the eye moved, the more I became aware that I was advancing in a tunnel that was narrowing and getting darker. Suddenly, the eye stopped, and everything was very black. For a moment, I started to fear I would remain stuck there forever. Then an enormous white light appeared in the whole space. Instinctively, I entered into the light and understood that my life on Earth was ending and that I was facing my own death. I felt good, similar to the feeling of sliding into a warm bath. I was happy being there. I was aware that suffering stopped and that I never again would be suffering. This sensation is indescribable. I started to go deeper into the light. I talked strongly through thought and was telling him, if this is my time, I accept it. The deeper I went, the more I became aware that I might not be able to come back. I was thinking of my children. I repeated my statement with a qualifier by saying, if it's my time, I accept it, but I have to take care of my children. After the third time, I was like moving backwards and then opened my eyes. Deep down in my ear, I heard a kind of classical music, but it was a billion times more wonderful. Okay, so that was Layla's uh, near-death experience. It was uh, fairly short, but she packed a lot into that uh, quite short description of her experience that I think we can go through, and so I'm going to do my best to to try and make the most of of what she's written and, and try to understand it and, and to look at it and see what we can learn from it. Um, so like I mentioned before, this is the first... Muslim near-death experience that I've done on the podcast. Um, I don't know whether it's a what kind of constitutes the the lack of Muslim near-death experiences that at least I, I look for on the nderf.org website, but it's usually um, more Christian or um, um, you know 
secular kind of near-death experiences. Uh, Muslim near-death experiences is somewhat more rare, but not entirely. Now, this one, uh, although it's pretty short, pretty brief, it's still, like I said, it, it packs a lot in there in terms of imagery and what happened and things that we can discuss. And so I'm going to read the some of the questions at the end of the experience in regards to um, Layla's uh, religious beliefs and, and kind of how they've changed since the experience. What was your religion prior to your experience? Muslim. Have your religious practices changed since your experience? Yes, I had a burning desire to know the truth as if everything we had been taught was wrong. What is your religion now? Other or several faiths, the best of all religions and spiritual standards. Did your experience include features consistent with your earthly beliefs? Content that was both consistent and not consistent with the beliefs you had at the time of your experience. No judgment. During your experience, did you gain information about the existence of God? Yes, I felt a presence, a wholeness without knowing exactly who or what it was. I didn't feel alone. During your experience, did you gain information about the universal connection or oneness? Yes, we are facing our own pure essence, our authentic self, but I feel that I am a part of a whole. Okay, so... I just wanted to add those in there just to give a little extra context to to try to, uh, like I said, make the most of of reading this and try to trying to understand it. Now, I did some brief kind of cursory research on Islamic beliefs about the afterlife, and it seems like there's a a good deal of emphasis placed on the idea of judgment and righteousness that there's a kind of kind of like Christianity there's um, this idea of the um, soul waiting with the body to be resurrected after, on a day of judgment so to speak and there's this idea that uh, the soul will be um, tested or questioned by two two um, servants of God to angels. Um, and depending on how, how the questioning goes, uh, the soul will um, be taken painlessly with them or uh, the soul will be extracted quite painfully if and the, um, the dead person does not, I suppose, answer the questions well or, or answers immorally or, or so to speak. Um, and so, I mean, we don't really, we don't really get anything of that in in this experience. In fact, she she emphasizes in the answers to her questions that she's kind of surprised, or, or at least <laughs> was struck by the fact that uh, there were, there was no judgment involved, and in her case, there was no life review. There was no judgment of of any kind. And perhaps that is something that would be surprising to uh, a Muslim if 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 the Islamic uh, afterlife kind of ideas uh, heavily feature 
a judgment and a weighing of the soul and and that sort of thing and 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 uh, especially with the emphasis on righteousness and belief and faith so i think that that is something that that she felt like was was quite different from from her beliefs before but again we don't i don't really have a whole lot of information on on what her beliefs before were i know there are many different kind of um sects of of islam and you know sunni and shia and and all these different branches and stuff and so i i don't really know what her beliefs beforehand were to compare them to her experience now i will say that in my brief research of of islamic afterlife ideas uh the idea that the soul is kind of escorted and and questioned by uh two angels to to servants of god um i found that kind of interesting as a as a parallel to back when we were reading the near death experiences from thailand how the uh in in those cases the the uh experiencer was confronted by usually two yamatuts they were called the servants of the lord of death yama and so that was just kind of an interesting parallel i i don't know what to make of it but um kind of cool that a a similar idea you know has emerged in two vastly different cultures across the world that one is con- uh confronted by two angels or two servants of of a deity when one dies and so i thought that was interesting but so i think we'll just we will just take her experience as it is and try to go through it and 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 look at the images and and ideas that that um are present in it and see if we can compare it to other near death experiences and such um to to try and gain a greater understanding so i guess to begin with the reason for having this near death experience is pretty unclear um she doesn't seem to have had a, a medical condition of of any kind or any particular life threatening um occurrence uh she answered a question after the the experience of uh, at the time of your experience was there an associated life threatening event she says uncertain 3 weeks after delivery uh, of her baby i fainted without knowing the cause so so it's just kind of a uh, just losing consciousness fainting uh for whatever reason so not necessarily a life threatening event going on in this case for us to to add into the equation so um she she faints and she comes to she says she's in an underground structure and she was floating and and facing a stone wall and and so she's floating she's <laughs> underground she's looking at a, a stone wall and i guess the light goes out so there there might have been a light on before that goes out and she just wants to leave apparently she is hovering above um some dark souls or spirits that are closer to the ground 
Now, this is not the first time that we've encountered this idea of, of kind of dark souls kind of mulling about, I believe, in Hafer's near-death experience, which was a few months ago. Uh, her experience starts off with there kind of being these zombie-like souls kind of going back and forth, and she's told not to um, told by her grandfather not to interact with them. And so this is something that we we come across is, is this kind of, I don't know, just the it's a realm of ghosts, of, of kind of just um, dark spirits, dark souls that are, are quite earthbound, I suppose, in their, their temperament or, or suffering, so to speak. I, I'm not entirely sure how to describe it. I was, um, I have been reading a uh, a really fascinating book by a uh, psychoanalyst named Marie Louise von Franz, and uh, she wrote a book on. It's called "On Dreams and Death," and it's about <laughs> people's dreams and dying. So she, as a union um, analyst, is looking at people's dreams, uh, particularly right before they die, and trying to understand what that can tell us about death and the process and and what it might mean psychologically and and mythologically and she also looks at many different cultures around the world and their traditions and beliefs surrounding death with the idea being that since the our dreams and and myths kind of appear spontaneously without our own doing which is quite similar to the near-death experience. It's not like we choose all the elements. It's not like Layla, you know, decided to go to an underground place <laughs> above, you know, dark souls floating close to the ground. You know, these are spontaneous. They're autonomous. They have their own kind of volition to them. And due to that fact, we can, we can at least try to look at what ideas are presented by these spontaneous experiences, whether that's near-death experiences or dreams. And so um, Marie-Louise von Franz is going through um, just these different ideas and symbols that surround death. Um, and she she mentioned um, near-death experiences in it. And particularly, she, she brings up the work of... Uh, Raymond Moody, who is a very prominent, well-known uh, near-death experience researcher. And um, so I'm just going to read read a little part of this because it has to do with this first kind of encounter that, that Layla has. Um, so she had mentioned a, a dream, and so she starts off, This gloomy image reminds one of some of the experiences reported by Moody in which his witnesses are said to have spent some time in a kind of in-between region where shadowy spirits of the dead wandered about mindlessly. And now she quotes from Moody. What you would think of as their head was bent downward. They had sad, depressed looks. They seemed to shuffle. They looked washed out, dull and gray. And they seemed to be forever shuffling and moving around not knowing where they were going, not knowing who to follow or what to look for. They seem to be very bewildered, not knowing who they are or what they are. 
It looks like they have lost any knowledge of who they are, what they are, no identity whatsoever. And now Marie-Louise von Franz continues, This gloomy picture of life after death agrees, much more than do those experiences of light also described by Moody. With the numerous stories from around the world of hauntings, of ghosts, and of the spirits of the dead, in our experience of dreams, too, the beyond of the unconscious is very seldom represented by beautiful images. Equally, equally often, dreams present oppressive scenes. What seems to be decisive is how psychologically mature a person is before death and whether or not he or she has developed a relationship with the self. So, here again uh, in this scene described by by. Dr. Moody, there's a just kind of these lifeless souls who are confused, bewildered, kind of just hovering around. And, and that's um, almost the exact same image that we're getting from Layla's near-death experience. Um, so this is a kind of interesting beginning. Again, even in where we've encountered this before in Hafer's near-death experience, it was also at the beginning, right off the bat. And so I, I suppose the fact that it's underground is has to do with that, that I, I guess, that idea of, of being in the realm of the dead. Uh, you know, it evokes ideas of, like, uh, Greek... Hades or, or hell, but it's not exactly hell. It's kind of just a dark, damp uh, sort of situation. And then she she sees stairs going up to the surface, and she was, I guess, going to go up the stairs, but she got distracted by some strong, I guess, rap music. Um, and this slowed her down. So... She she mentions music in this, which, you know, as a musician, I find very interesting. It's it's not the first time that I've I've heard um, rap music and low frequencies, I guess, associated with kind of a underworld type of type of realm, a, a or associated with souls of of the damned or you know dark spirits and that sort of thing and you know i i part of me doesn't quite well i i don't know whether it's up to me to agree with it or not but i think it's i don't think the medium of rap music has anything to do with with having that that association like i think you know obviously rap music can be quite poetic and beautiful and life-affirming and have, you know, wonderful messages. I, I suppose the association with with rap music might be a personal one that, that Layla has, that rap is often, at least has more aggressive, kind of earthy, materialistic themes to it. So that it might be a, a personal image that that Layla has that is being employed in this instance to describe a, a psychological state or a, a situation that she's, she's in or that the experience is trying to express. And at the end, she's kind of, 
uh, she hears beautiful classical music, which is another thing that people often mention about near-death experiences is this music of the spheres, this kind of beautiful, ethereal, um, you know, a very calming, beyond words type of music that, that is, is, speaks to the soul. And, and, you know, I've heard this many times, even personally, one of my good friends has uh, had a close brush with death. And, and though he didn't have a near-death experience, he did hear this music kind of angelic singing in his ears. So it's interesting how music is is employed in these instances, and I'm sure it is a a type of personal thing. And, you know, I've read when people are trying to discuss near-death experiences in music that they're often kind of link low frequencies and rap and drums and that sort of thing to hellish realms and higher frequencies of this ethereal kind of music up to a, you know, closer to God, closer to heaven sort of thing. And I, I the, the musician in me kind of takes, takes issue with that because I, I don't, I don't necessarily see the, I, I could see low frequency being just as um, expressive and in the ex, uh, creative spirit as, as a higher frequency, I don't necessarily uh, agree. I guess with the moralizing of <laughs> of tone, but it's just often how they're expressed, and so I think that's kind of an interesting um, kind of, <laughs> I guess, idea that emerges out of near death experiences of, of these changes in frequency. Although I'm not entirely sure why Wooden couldn't be of service to the whole, to the deity, to God, using lower frequencies and opposed as opposed to higher frequencies if we're trying to think about it, you know, philosophically or, or whatever, that <laughs> just being closer to God in terms of your tone or your vibration um, doesn't necessarily mean that's that's where you're supposed to be in order to do whatever you're supposed to do. So anyway, that's, that's a, a bit of a digre- digression, but interesting how rap music was, uh, aggressive rap music, as she says, was associated with this, this place, and I've heard that before as well. And then, and then she sees a delivery person going up the stairs, which she interprets as another soul going through the same thing as her and she says is escaping now the 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 fact that it's a delivery person you know that's i i don't really know what to make of it this was originally written in french and so i when we in english have a delivery person you know um delivery has many different kind of amplifications and connotations depending on how it's used. It's a very kind of spiritual word. You know, it can be the mundane delivery of a package from Amazon or something, but delivery can also mean salvation from from a, a bad situation, salvation by God. Delivery can also mean giving birth to a child, bringing a new light into the world. So in English, they have all these 
these spiritual connotations. And so I looked up the word in French, and I believe it's like livre. My French is terrible, so I, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but it seems to be a distinct word that isn't associated with those different things that we have in English. So essentially, I don't, I don't know why she sees a delivery person or if that has any particular meaning to her. Um, she seems to think it's just another person. And, and you know, that, that works for me. Perhaps, you know, people can be, and, 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 you know, there are reports of people seeing other souls in a near-death experience and such. We haven't done one of those yet, but maybe down the road we will. This idea of a shared near-death experience of multiple people going through something. But I, I, and I don't really know what to make of her saying that he's going up the stairs to, to escape or whether he's just going back to consciousness. And I don't know, uh, or is he, does he represent, is he delivering something from this realm to back to consciousness? Is, is that an idea that, that emerges out of it? It's, it's kind of unclear why a delivery person and where he goes, this um, goes up and out of this underground realm. Because as we, as we heard, you know, she kind of continues in this underground realm and, and meets God. And she, she has an experience with the light. And it, it isn't clear that she ever leaves this underground realm or whether this, if she had gone up the stairs, whether that would, she would have just woken up, you know, on her couch and, and not have had that, that beautiful encounter with the, the light you know, so that's that's kind of a question mark that I have there is whether this, what that that stairway leading up represents, um, and, and it's it also kind of points to this this entire experience happening underground, and that there's there's kind of this equivalency between the underground kind of hell and this idea of the the light beautiful um kind of realm of of heaven this afterlife realm and so because this kind of continues underground she they're connected by a tunnel which we'll get into but it, it's kind of this idea of the old alchemical idea of as above so below that there's kind of a uh, i guess a connection between even the the you know dark, damp, uh, sad kind of suffering place of dark souls and this beautiful light um, emerging out of that that same realm. It it actually reminds me of a dream I once had. I I was like in some shopping mall or something and I was running after this girl, not like in a weird way or anything, but I was following her and she was she was running down the stairs. She was. We were in a stairwell, and she was going down and down and down. And I kept following her down and down, presumably underground. And eventually, she, there was this, on the last kind of floor, there was this door, and she opened it up and, and ran out, and the door opened up onto the sky. So I ran all the way down following this girl, and, and the door opened, and I was 
up above in the sky. And so what at least that dream kind of represents in the same manner as this is that there's kind of this, the deeper you go down, you you reach the top, you you know, the deeper. Well, that's also the idea that, that um, was in Dante's Inferno, that he, he goes down into the, the different, you know, levels of hell, and, and the deeper he goes, eventually, is how he gets up um, to the the heavenly realms um, by going down. And so that's it's a very interesting I- idea that is also presented here. That there's kind of because she stays in this underground place, she has this experience with the light. Whereas if she had followed the delivery person up the stairs, maybe she would have just woken up and not gotten to have the full experience the whole totality of of what this experience was trying to express and so she mentions that she she goes to the right side again we've we've brought up the kind of symbolic ideas behind left and right a couple times on the podcast that you know the right side is often the the good side the beneficial, uh, beneficent side, and, and the left is kind of the unknown or the kind of evil connotation um, that comes with it. And so here we have going to the good side, to the right side, to the um, you know beneficial side. She sees a floating fluorescent green eye. So um, we have also encountered images of eyes before. Um, particularly, it was in Alma's near-death experience, I believe. She saw a glistening eye of God. We also um, have seen God represented as a kind of circular eye with scenes floating around. Um, and so we've seen eye depictions before, and if you want to hear more about different mythological kind of and symbolic representations of eyes and their meanings then uh, I would suggest you go check that episode out because I don't want to get into it all over again there were there were lots um, and she specifically brings up one of the things that we had talked about before and the idea of the eye and that is that she kind of automatically knows like oh this is my this is the third eye and so it's not entirely clear whether it's this eye seems to have its own volition. And so I don't know. She doesn't say it's my third eye. It's, she says it's the third eye. And again, this this eye doesn't really... I don't necessarily think it, it represents God. It's more of acting in the kind of role that we usually see fulfilled by a family member or a an angel or something it's it's kind of a this guide through this experience or this guide to the divine part of this experience now eyes as we mentioned before are often linked to perception consciousness um let me read a quick thing that i found about the third eye just to kind of drive it home here the Okay, so 
The third eye, also called the mind's eye or inner eye, is a mystical or e- and esoteric concept of a speculative, invisible eye, usually depicted as located on the forehead, which provides perception beyond ordinary sight. In Dharmic spiritual traditions from India, the third eye refers to the ajna, or brow chakra. The third eye refers to the gate that leads to the inner realms and spaces of higher consciousness. So that that sentence in particular is kind of fascinating because that is literally what it what it does in this experience. It the eye is what leads and and forms that tunnel, that that bridge to to the experience of the light. Um, just a a little more, I guess, in the so we can know what the third eye is. In Hinduism and Buddhism, the third eye is said to be located around the middle of the forehead, slightly above the junction of the eyebrows, representing the enlightenment one achieves through meditation. Hindus also pace Hindus also place a tilaka between the eyebrows as a representation of the third eye, which is also seen on expressions of Shiva. Buddhists regard the third eye as the eye of consciousness, representing the vantage point from which enlightenment beyond one's physical sight is achieved. So it, it definitely seems to be in line with, with those formulations there. Um, and, and like I said, it, it, the, <laughs> the eye in this case, the third eye, is not entirely clear if it's hers or whether it's its own being or entity because it seems to have its own volition and its own path. And so she automatically knows that it is her third eye or the, sorry, the third eye. I don't want to put words in her mouth. Um, and she follows it and it becomes a tunnel, which we, is another feature um, that is very often seen in near-death experiences that uh, the heavenly realm or wherever is is kind of reached through a tunnel of light or of some sort. This seems to be a tunnel through this underground structure. She mentions that there are stone walls that kind of narrow in, and it becomes quite dark. Um, I guess I guess before we get into the experience of the light, I should mention that I I tried to tried to see if we could learn anything from the idea of, of it being green, a fluorescent green, or what the symbolism of, of green might might add to this experience. Um, so I, I guess in, in typical kind of symbolism of, of the idea of green, it, it kind of has this double aspect, which, you know, we often see in many, um, many cases when trying to to have a symbolic interpretation of, of a certain image or, or object or idea even, that things often have a, a dual aspect or, or kind of ambivalent. In this case, you know, green can often represent life, vegetation growth, um, but also represent death and <laughs> rotting and decay and, and, you know, that process of breaking down. And so... You know, I guess there's both kind of work in this case that green is, I guess, a, a associated with both life and death. And, and if there's anything we can take away from 
from near-death experiences is that they're very much involved in both in both life and death and and that they um, really they're almost two sides of the same coin that that we must we can't have one with the without the other and and to accept death is to accept life and to truly live is to um, have that willingness to die as well and so that kind of works from from that angle but I, I tried to look up what uh, green means in Islamic thought and, and um, Islamic kind of religious and spiritual ideas and I suppose it's it's quite strongly associated with with the idea of paradise which is interesting now I don't know whether this particular image, the the reason the eye was green, is has anything to do with her her faith as a Muslim. But um, it is interesting that it is associated with with paradise. Um, there's even a a figure in in the Quran of um, a a servant of God named uh, Al Kidr, and there's this story of of this this kind of angel figure. Um, that travels with Moses, and it's this really cool uh, parable of of um, Al Kidder does <laughs> these kind of crazy things, these these immoral things, and and Moses keeps on going like, "What are you doing?" and 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 he tells Moses, "Don't question, don't question what he does. Just kind of have faith in what he does, even if you know it may seem extreme to to Moses, and and Moses can't do it, and he." keeps questioning on why he <laughs> he's doing all these bad things and it, it and then at the end he gives this kind of long explanation of how these bad things that he did were actually good things he just Moses couldn't understand at the time anyway it's it's a cool story if you get a, ever get a chance to read it but al kidder is called the green one and he is associated with um with god and 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 i guess there are many islamic f- flags that is uh incorporate green as well. And so it's a particularly, I guess, um, positive color in, in, from the Islamic perspective. And so that might work here as well, that this is a um, similar, similarly to, to Al-Kidr, the idea of, of a, a servant of God, this I is um, leading Layla to God um, and having fluorescent green color to it and i'm not i'm not really sure whether it's the the iris of the eye that is green or whether it's kind of like the whole the whole eye is is kind of a a green color instead of white so that would be i don't know i'd have to see a picture or something if she drew it that'd be interesting but anyway so the the (laughs) The eye leads her to to God and and to through this tunnel. Again, the the tunnel being a very common um, motif that we see in many near death experiences as a kind of way of travel through these realms, I suppose. And it, it I guess becomes quite narrow and dark, and and so she, so the eye stops and it's becomes very black. And she says that she she started to get a little scared that she'd be stuck there. It's like complete kind of, I don't know, claustrophobic blackness. And here at this darkest moment is when the light appears. Now, this is something that we, we see time and time again in many near-death experiences, that this white light 
kind of envelops uh, the experiencer. And it seems that this, this light has its own kind of, it's, it's an entity. It has its own um, kind of, I don't know, personality or, or um, consciousness of its own that, it, that she mentions that she's kind of talking back and forth with it. And um, quite notably, she mentions that it's in the form of thoughts, which is uh, very, very common to see in near-death experiences that communication is through some kind of thought transfer between between beings that um, supposedly is much more efficient and effective than our uh, clunky languages that we have here. So um, she seems to understand that she has she's facing her own death, um, and that this is kind of the end of her suffering. There's going to be no more suffering, and and so she says she feels like she's sliding into a warm bath. I I think that's a very good image because I can totally, at least, the, that idea, I get that feeling. I don't know. It's probably a lot more intense for her. And, and you know, she mentions that the sensation of, of being part of this light is indescribable. Um, and so she, she approaches this whole... I don't know, encounter with the light in a very positive way, in a very wise kind of attitude and, and, and demeanor that she takes. And it's kind of summed up by what she was telling the light. And she says that it, if this is my time, I accept it. And I, it, it strikes me as very wise and, and, and the right attitude to have throughout it that like even as a kind of prayer that that well if this is what is supposed to happen then then i accept it she's she's her she's going along with with this process that that is going on even though it's you know completely indescribable as she says and and you know as many people have tried to express just absolutely overwhelming and powerful and and life-changing and all these these ways we try to describe it but she she is accepting it as it as it goes along and not fighting against it and, and but then as she it's interesting how she she kind of frames it that it's, it's as she's getting deeper into this light it's kind of like a she kind of frames it in a kind of uh, um in means of physical space as if she's moving into God or something, which which is an interesting way of, of describing it. You know, in other near-death experiences, sometimes we see a threshold or a door or, or a gate or, or some kind of physical barrier, but this, it seems it's much more fluid. It's, it's more of a process of moving into God, and she gets the sense that the farther she moves in, to this light, to this deity, the uh, she might not be able to go back, and so then she kind of changes her statement um, to to really, I guess, express what she's she's feeling about it. It's that if she keeps the the first part, if it's my time, I accept it. But she adds, "But I have to take care of my children because she feels this perhaps karmic." Um, you know, it, it could be something, just a mother's love for her children or something that she feels she has a duty to 
to be there for her kids, um, although she's in this uh, point of death. And, um, and so with that, I guess, by her expression of that, she is, she is kind of um, drawn backwards um, and opens her eyes. She's back in her body, and it's um, the experience is over. It's, it's kind of a, a really powerful thing that that it's the her love of her children that that perhaps saved her life in this in this case if you want to frame it that way that it was uh, for them that she returned and especially since she just had a, a newborn uh, newborn baby um, there um, right before this happened um, and she wakes down or <laughs> wakes down wakes up with uh the sound of this beautiful classical music, which I've I kind of talked about before. So, well, that was a lot of time to spend on a <laughs> fairly short um, near-death experience. I mean, it might have taken about three or four minutes to, to actually read the um, experience itself, and I don't know how long I've been talking about it, but it just goes to show how much meaning and how much stuff and and symbolism and 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 wisdom that is is crammed into these experiences and it's just absolutely fascinating that that we get a chance to to talk about them and and you know these uh, these are probably the most personal subjective experience that a person can have and it's Amazing that we live in a time where, you know, thousands of people around the world can share this intensely intimate and personal experience that they have that is is just for them, you know, and and that they have a means of sharing that with other people and and being able to help others through through uh, people who are grieving the loss of a loved one or who are scared about the prospect of dying and, and just all sorts of different situations that we are able to to um you know go through these these stories and and be able to to assimilate them to integrate them and to understand ourselves better through them it's just an amazing thing and i am uh very privileged to to be able to to read them and and to share them with with other people. So many thanks to to Layla for for sharing this. I I thought it was fascinating and I hope you all got something out of it as well. So we will we'll end there for today. Um thank you so much for listening. Uh if you want to reach out to me, you can do so at uh, by sending me an email uh, Sam reads near death experiences at gmail.com. You can check out our Facebook page. Um, I got some episodes on YouTube. I need to do more. I kind of do them in big chunks. So I, I put them off for like, <laughs> like a weekend and then I'll put a bunch on there, but, uh, I'm up on Spotify. I think I just got up on Google play. Um, I'm trying to make sure I, I have all the, you know, different boxes checked of, of, you know, getting this podcast out there. So uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes because that helps us out. 
And um, I just updated my Patreon a little bit, changed some of the, um, uh, I guess, perks or rewards for for uh, choosing to support the podcast, the different things you can get. And um, so I'm hoping that, um, you know, if you enjoy the podcast and you want to help support it, um, head on over to Patreon. Uh, I'm going to be putting certain content and episodes that are, are only for Patreon subscribers, uh, like that the the book I read an excerpt from uh, earlier, the uh, Marie-Louise von Franz uh, book on death and dreams. Um, it's, it's an amazing book, and I'm going to be reading a few chapters, I think, and putting it on Patreon. So um, if that's something that interests you, please... Please check it out. I'm I'm gonna. Um, one of them is is if you like some of the music that I play in the background. I, one of the uh, tiers is to get a selection of the music that I use. Maybe if you want to chill out and take a nap or something, the, the music help help put you to sleep and and lots of different other things. Like if you ever uh, wanted to hear me read a particular near death experience of your choice, there's there's a way to, to make that happen on Patreon. So uh, just check it out. Uh, the link's in the description as well as some other ones. Um, if you want to follow me along in my daily life, you can check out my Instagram, and it's called The Timber Lion. So now we will finish up with a quote on death. Okay, so I thought I would end yet again with a quote from one of my favorite poets by the name of Rumi. He was a Sufi mystic. And um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure which poem this quote is coming from, but I really liked it because it it uh, features the kind of wedding uh, symbolism, the um, bringing together of the opposites, which um, is so common in in mythology and 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 Jungian psychology in particular of, of talking about the the heroes gamos of the the wedding of the gods, how the kind of return to God or the or heaven or or the spiritual realm is a kind of uh, wedding feast. That's an idea that appears in many different religious contexts and um, in other contexts as well, just mythological. But um, so I, I I really like this little quote. It's pretty short, so. Our death is our wedding with eternity.